Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. So tell me a little bit about McLaughlin PC and, and how that all came about. I have little research. I have Mississippi, Florida. Tell me more. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, this is going to be kind of a, a long answer to your question. Um, but yeah, we're kind of a boutique commercial law firm. Um, I spent uh, 13 years, I guess, give or take, um, at large corporate law firms, um, one regional, regionally based and one nationally based. Um, I guess it was back in 2004, 2005, when I was a young lawyer, um, I landed my first brewery client. It was Lazy Magnolia, which was Mississippi's first brewery, really one of the first breweries in the Southeast. Um, and over the years have gotten to be very close, personal and professional, um, developed a close personal and professional relationship with the two founders. Um, you know, once you've kind of done that and helped a brewery and you're the only lawyer in town, it just, you become the person that everybody calls. Um, my practice started to kind of move towards the more entrepreneurial end of the spectrum. Um, when I was at my first law firm, I had some positional and business conflicts at, at that law firm too. One of my law partners represented the trade association for the distributors. And so I got recruited over to a much larger law firm that said, Hey, we have kind of been watching what you're doing with this beer thing. We think we can give you a bigger, bigger platform. So I did that for about two and a half years and that's when it really started to kind of go regional um, started doing a good bit of work in Tennessee, a good bit of work in Alabama, some work in Louisiana and Florida. Um, about three years ago, I just sort of came to the conclusion that I wanted to take more ownership of what I was doing. I felt like I could provide um, the same services in a much more efficient and economical way to my clients. I wouldn't have to worry about the large law firm overhead. And so I went out on my own. Um, we've worked with probably 200 brewers and distilleries throughout the United States. Most of the work we do um, actually is not in Mississippi and it's not in the Southeast. We're picking up clients in California and New York and Washington state. Um, is that advertising or is that word of mouth or trade association? Um, it, it's a lot of referrals. So um, we, I'm a regular presenter at um, a conference called NanoCon that is each that, that happens in the fall um, it's a it's a conference that is put on by the Brew Your Own Magazine folks. It focuses on kind of home brewing transition to nano smaller breweries. So I've, I've done that the last couple of years and picked up a lot of referrals and a lot of direct relationships. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I won the FX Matt Award um, from the BA uh, back in 2017 for my advocacy on policy issues in Mississippi. Um, we're general counsel of the Mississippi Brewers Guild. We're general counsel of the Alabama Brewers Guild. And we've consulted with other guilds on public policy and um, legislative type efforts and initiatives. So, yeah, I mean, really very, you know, we do advertise some, we do market, we blog, we try to provide very, you know, regular and systematic content. But at the end of the day, it's very, very much referral based and word of mouth. That's it. I would, you know, I would definitely say on my side of the business, too. I mean, everybody knows each other. Right. It's right. as many breweries as there is, you know, uh, it's a very, very small world. So right. I always kind of live by the fact of, hey, good news travels, but bad news travels really fast. So, That's right. always, you know, we do our best 
to do our best for everybody, um, fairly and, and timely. And yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a great, great niche to be in. Um, it, it's a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I mean, we, we feel very blessed to work with some of the most creative people that we've ever come across. And, um, these folks have been clients or have become clients, but more importantly, you know, we've developed a close personal relationship with a lot of these folks. And, um, that's what makes kind of what we're going through right now, even more difficult, um, or makes the situation even more complex. We're watching a lot of very close personal friend of ours, friends of ours, their businesses, you know, teeter on the verge of bankruptcy. And, you know, there's just, there's just not a whole lot that can be done, you know? Yeah. So I guess that's a perfect segue into this, you know, the paycheck protection program, uh, within the cares act. So, you know, this kind of builds into a SBA loan program, SBA seven. I mean, what's the difference between that, you know, typical SBA loan and, and what we're seeing with the cares act? Yeah. So, um, the cares act, um, kind of tweaked the 7A loan. You know, a lot of breweries have been financed with um, SBA 7A loans. We've closed probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 um, loans for uh, breweries that could not access, you know, more traditional bank capital. The SBA 7A program, is a, it's a good program. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to, you know, finance early stage breweries that uh, when there's not a whole lot of capital out there. Um, this is different in the sense that, um, it, it, there's no collateral requirement. There's no personal guarantee. There's no credit underwriting. There's no financial underwriting. This is not intended to be used for working capital in the traditional sense. It's not intended to be used to acquire, you know, equipment or expand. Um, it is specifically for payroll and short-term, you know, monthly operational expenditures to hopefully bridge the gap between where we are right now and hopefully you know, a flattened curve or us sort of pulling out of the situation, uh, for, for, for the long term. Okay. And that is, that comes with, you know, there's a, there's a max term and an interest rate built in. Yeah, there is. So there's a, a portion of the, this loan that's going to be forgivable. So if you take the money through, you know, an SBA approved lender, um, and you use it for payroll, payroll expenses, rent utilities, um, a portion of it is going to be forgiven at the end. Um, if there is a balance, um, it will be amortized. Um, I think the latest guidance from the Treasury is going to be over a two-year period of time with a 1% interest rate. Um, all of this is very, very fluid. Um, the Act was passed, and then there were some interim guidance that was issued by the Treasury, and then there were rules that were issued last Thursday before the applications went live. And all of sort of this guidance has been all over the map, hasn't been consistent. At times, it's been contrary to what was previously said. So it's been difficult to try to figure out what's really going on here. But at the end of the day, a part of it is going to be forgiven. um, And then the the balance is going to be amortized over a short period of time at a very low interest rate. Yeah, And that's the thing, you know, a lot of these, you know, small breweries, even large breweries, whatever, they have folks who no longer have work or, you know, this right. is such a big, so I, I, you know, I had immediately gotten a couple calls, I don't know, two weeks ago said, Hey, we just let go of all our employees. Right. So I'm like, well, that's not good, obviously, but how does this, you know, for the folks who furloughed employees, right. That sort of thing, like how, you know, do they have the opportunity to bring those folks back? Are they that, or are they just penalized from the start? How does that work? No, there is a mechanism. Um, yeah, we we saw that too. This was about, I guess, three weeks ago. The phone started ringing off the hook. Yep. Hey, we've you know 
we can't have people in the brewery. Gatherings are limited to 10 people. You know, the preliminary CDC guidelines were very restrictive about what people could do. Um, the knee-jerk reaction, um, and understandably so, was to furlough, lay people off, completely downshift tap room operations, you know, go to skeletal crews. Those folks that did that, um, we ha will have the opportunity. They can hire those folks back and not be penalized at the end of the day, which is good. I can't remember what the outside date is, but you're given a period of time to hire either furloughed or terminated employees back, and you won't be penalized on the uh, on the forgiveness piece. Okay. All right. And then there, so, you know, the way that this is kind of playing out, it looks like it's till what, June 30th? But that's right. The kind of a wait and see is the could this potentially be extended? Yeah, I I sort of get the sense um, reading tea leaves that that is probably what's going to end up happening. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how uh, how how oversubscribed this loan program may be. Um, there was some data coming out Friday that about ten billion dollars worth of loans had been applied for. Um, that to me is a lot even though it's a $350 billion loan program with as many issues as that lenders were having on Friday. Um, I think that number is going to increase significantly this week. I suspect that it gets to the point where it looks like it is going to be oversubscribed that Congress will probably reallocate um, another sort of tranche of this um, and, and could extend it for a period of time too. I mean, we, we are, we are working with a lot of uncertainty right now and we're in um, an unprecedented area so no one, we can't really predict when this is going to, when this is going to end. Yeah. This whole uh, zoom thing is the whole new normal, I guess. Right. <laughs> it crazy. totally is. It's crazy. You know, getting beer shipped to my front porch step, you know, trying to support the local folks, you know, how do they yeah, come up? Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, we're, we're trying to do that as much as we can to encouraging people down in, in our, in, in our part of the country to, to go out to the breweries. And if they don't direct ship, they all do curbside curbside service and, um, making sure people understand how important it is to buy local right now. Yeah. Are you, like, how do they, you know, that $349, you know, $349 billion, how do they come up with that loan amount? You know, it's just kind of threw it out of dark. I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it was like anything else that was heavily negotiated and debated in Congress. Um, I, I have no idea. I have not read um, any, any study or any policy behind how that number was arrived at. Okay. And as far as folks, you know, they're filling out the applications. I think there's some, yep. a lot of questions about how to do it, what to do, you know, what are the common questions you're seeing from the breweries that are popping up? Um, a lot of them are asking more questions on what am I going to have to show at the end to get the loan forgiven? Um, the loan application is not overly complicated um, although it's interesting, I've, I've talked to probably a dozen different banks and different bankers in the last three to four days, and they're all saying that the application that the Treasury put out has certain questions, but when they go on to either upload the application or to answer the questions on behalf of the borrower, there's a whole different set of questions. But we're getting questions primarily on what evidence are we going to need to have to offer to get the loan forgiven. And my response is, you know, payroll reports. Um, 941 filings to pay, you know, federal and federal withholding tax, um, canceled checks for utility payments. Um, if you're doing everything electronically, you know, make sure that you have access to your financial information, whether it's a general ledger 
profit and loss kind of statement. And you can clearly show, you know, that this money went to rent, this money went to utilities, this money went to payroll. Um, I think that's as, as about as good as you can do at this point. And, and I haven't seen anything from Treasury providing, you know, specifically what they're going to be looking for. Yeah, I assume there's a lot of just scrambling. Hey, we got to dig up these bills. And what are they looking at the last few months or? Yeah, I think so. So you have, it's an eight week kind of period of time um, that they're going to be looking at uh, to see if you spent the money on what you were supposed to spend it on. So eight weeks from the date that I think it says the date was the loan originates um, or closes. So the date you get the money plus eight weeks, okay. um, that's going to probably be the test period for um, the expenditures. Is that direct deposit? Are they mailing out checks? I mean, that would delay it more. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, we've had a couple of clients that have applied and there is not, um, uh, at least on the application, anywhere to put bank information. Um, I would assume that um, most of our clients that did apply probably have operating accounts already with the banks that they applied through uh, for the PPP. So the bank will probably just direct deposit it or move money into their account after they sign the promissory note. Um, but I'm, I'm not real sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And then McLaughlinPC.com is your website. Yes. And then I saw on there, you have your own little, you know, a couple page sheet here on, on what to do, how to do it. But the thing I liked on there was the example calculation. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think um, that's super helpful, you know, going through that for me, you know, I'm not in the same boat, but at least to look at that and understand, all right, here's the payroll costs officially what they're looking for. And then, you know, the, you know, the excluded costs, like the federal payroll taxes, you know, right. And how you, how you, yeah. two and a half times. Yeah. We, um, we got a lot of questions about what was going into the calculation. Those really started before the bill actually passed. Um, and so we, we came up with what we thought was a, a, a pretty decent spreadsheet to, to kind of show, walk somebody through, you know, this is how you come up with the loan amount. Um, we have had some people that have submitted loan applications um, pursuant to our spreadsheet, and then they've had their their bank come back in and make adjustments to it. Um, you know, as of Friday of Thursday of last week, you were eligible to include certain independent contractors or 1099 folks. And now that's not the case. The Treasury has changed um, their position on that. And if you have 1099 folks, you don't include them in the calculation they can pursue, pursue their own PPP loan um, when when that application pool opens up, which I think is going to be this week. I guess it's kind of a good and bad of being a 1099, you know, in this loan forgiveness, right? You're you're supposed to be on, you're supposed to be an employee, right? Right. So a 1099, right? They got their own benefits and things that they can do on the side, being a 1099 and some of the taxes they can avoid and that sort of thing. But I feel like this kind of hampers them a little bit. It does. You know, they, I think, ideally would want to look to whomever was paying them to continue to get paid. And now they're going to have to go through the application process themselves. I'll be curious to see how many lenders are going to accept applications from independent contractors only because you would think that the independent contractor's applications for loans is going to be considerably less than a larger business that may have 10 or 15 or, or 20 employees. And so, you know, the question becomes, is a bank going to have part of their program requirements that a loan is over ten or twelve or $15,000 um, in order to process it? Because you have to put in the same work to process a $5,000 loan that you have to for a $100,000 loan, and the bank's making more fees on the, on the larger ones. So um, 
it'll be interesting to see how it how it all plays out for the independent contractors and the and the self employed. That's the other thing. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they don't pay themselves, so technically they're not right. losing payroll. Right. Interesting. All right, cool. Uh, when do you think what, uh, new updates? I, I'm getting so many emails from the TTB. I've never, I haven't seen this many emails from the TTB in so long. But um, are there any yeah. coming? You know, you know, in stone updates coming? Or are they kind of? We'll see. Yeah, on the TTB front, um, you know, we've had a lot of clients that have sort of pivoted under their DSP to start making hand sanitizer. Um, it yep. seems like over the last three weeks, we had had at least one or two phone conversations with the TTB a day trying to help people kind of navigate uh, you know, the permitting process. I will say they have been unbelievably responsive um, over the last three weeks to, to deal with some of these issues. Um, I'm trying to think. So there was a relief from excise tax on hand sanitizers and I think some um, deadlines for um, reporting and, and excise tax payments have been delayed. Yeah. I don't know of anything else that's coming down. You know, those are the major things um, right now. Um, I don't know, you know, what they're doing from a, you know, an application approval perspective for, you know, new brewers notices or colas or labels or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I would assume that's kind of just, you know, business as usual to the extent that people are submitting those. Yeah. I would think business as usual and a little delayed probably. Yeah, probably so. Um, yeah, we've had a number of distilleries doing the hand sanitizer and they're just thinking like, hey, this is more of a, we're helping the country kind of thing, you know? Right, um, right. I've had some folks who are, you know, the distilleries are bottling disinfectants for police officers and for FedEx yeah. drivers and, you know, so a spray, uh, hypochlorous acid, which is a little different right. than your hand sanitizer. So I love how creative everybody's getting. Um, the business model's changing. I mean, all we can really do is adapt. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it has been, it's been unbelievably inspiring to watch these folks kind of pivot just so quickly and move into a different direction. We've got breweries that are taking product that, you know, had not been packaged yet. Um, orders got canceled from distributors because on-premise is completely going away, at least for the short term and them taking some of those products and, and adding um, different components to it to make sprays, to make cleaners for the police, hospitals, coming up with, you know, making hand sanitizer um, for, for law enforcement and first responders. It's been, it, it's been cool to kind of watch that. And these people have had to switch gears very, very quickly um, with, with almost no notice while at the same time trying to stay true to their, to their, you know, their core business function, which is making beer and, and trying to sell it, you know? So um, yeah, it's almost right. like it's, they're now, you know, they're running two different companies and two different product lines, you know? That's right. That's I got right. folks who are, you know, donating cold brew coffee, you know, in cans to hospitals so that the nurses right. can stay awake, you know? Yeah. So cool. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate your time. Um, where Absolutely. else can we find some more information about you? Um, our website, we're trying to keep um, regular content kind of flowing through there. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram too, McLaughlin underscore PC underscore. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Um, yeah, just we're on social media and the website are probably the two best places to, to find information out about us. And on your website, don't you have a, you know, COVID-19 client resource? Yeah, we do. We've, we've got some links on the website um, that are specific to coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, we've got, the, you know, a Q&A on the PPP program and kind of that, that um, template that we just spoke about that kind of walks you through the calculation. 
um, and other things on there too. And we're going to be updating that um, on an as needed basis. Awesome. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I would love to, uh, you know, stay on top of that. Um, what you're hearing down there, stay safe. And yeah, uh, I too. guess don't go to new Orleans, I suppose, huh? No, don't. <laughs> Not right now. All right, man. Was there anything else I can do for you, Matthew? No, that's great. I appreciate it. All right. Very welcome. Stay in touch. Let's do it again. Yeah. Likewise. Bye. All right, buddy. Take care.